The history of Christianity has all sorts of odd and weird things in it. And so, of course, I enjoy telling you about them occasionally, and this will be one of those Sundays. In the late 1800s, there developed in in England a worry, a profound worry, that Christianity was becoming too effeminate, that Jesus was being described too much by those female Sunday school teachers as a sissy. And so a new movement was born, not widely respected at first, and in derision, it was labeled muscular Christianity. And we still feel the effects of it today. About the only good thing, I think, to come out of it was YMCA's. That YMCA's were formed so that young men could get a little more buff and in the process become better Christians. It was this whole theology that developed around Christian men being superheroes, being muscular, being fast, being strong. There are all sorts of pictures of men, white men, fishing and hunting in the name of Christ. (laughs) Novels were written about Christian white men who took the gospel with them, sort of always carrying heavy loads and facing grave dangers. It was sort of Indiana Jones as missionary. And this became popular for decades and decades and decades. And as I said, we still have the after effects today. First of all, of course, there's just plain old-fashioned sexism. But we also have, I think, all too often, planted deep in our brains a visual of what the men in the Bible looked like, particularly those around Jesus, because there was very carefully promoted all sorts of artwork to make sure that the apostles and Jesus looked like they'd been working out, that there was this great need to inspire young men to no longer just read books and work at office jobs, but instead to get their muscles built up like Andrew and Peter and James and John and, of course, Jesus. So, all sorts of images are now likely to come to our mind when we hear this morning's gospel about these four fishermen who Jesus calls. Because most of the art you see nowadays regarding this interaction has these guys as big, rough, and tough fishermen. And it doesn't say that anywhere. One of the frustrations with the Bible in general is that the writing style seldom has written descriptions of the characters, of the people there. We don't know much about any of these folks, so it is sort of a blank slate, and an artist is welcome and really encouraged to make whatever interpretation he or she wants in terms of how these people would have looked. But what's often portrayed is these guys, they're big, they're buff, they're impressive. And if you read a lot of commentaries, which I don't expect you to do, that's my job. If you read a lot of commentaries, you'll see these 
four men described as successful, that they owned fishing boats. That was a wonderful job to have. That was highly respected in the community. And we can't really say that's historically accurate. Some were respected, some weren't. Some were successful, some weren't. But in the drive to have these men big, bulky, rich, responsible, respected, this whole fiction has been created, and really a whole industry. You can go on conferences, conferences and things to hear about how the modern Christian man should behave. They should be wealthy, they should be strong, they should do this and that. So, all that documented. Now I'm going to do my thing that I sometimes do, where I'm going to make stuff up. <laughs> I think there's truth in it, but part of the fun of the Episcopal Church is that all of you get to decide that. And so as I so often have said, maybe too often, feel free to toss out anything that I say from here on out. And certainly listen to it, if you are listening, in a way that helps you see what's true for you. Because that's the Episcopal way of doing Christianity. It's up to you guys to decide for each one of you what God is saying to you, how the Holy Spirit's leading you. So there's the disclaimer. What if James and John were lousy fishermen? Doesn't say they were successful. I'm picturing, just for the morning, their father, Mr. Zebedee, seeing Jesus coming down the shore, seeing Jesus call to Andrew and Peter and them dropping their nets and following Jesus, and Mr. Zebedee saying, Jesus, please talk to my sons. They're terrible fishermen. I don't have the heart to say it. My wife would kill me. I need them to go away. <laughs> Here comes Jesus fulfilling the prayer. <laughs> that <laughs> they turn to dad and say, oh, dad, you know, you know, dad's like, no, I think maybe you should do this. If this is what you're really called to do, that, you know, God yeah, leading you, go, go, go. Because maybe they were really bad at it. Maybe they splashed the water too much. Maybe they let go of the nets at the wrong moment. Maybe they couldn't mend a net to save their life. Maybe they weren't successful. Maybe they weren't strong enough. Maybe they didn't have good upper body strength to haul in nets. Maybe Mr. Zebedee envied the other fishing boats that had stronger crews so could bring in more catches more often. It's quite possible these guys weren't good at it. In part, this is the way I would try to footnote it, is that the dad is like, yeah, go, bye. Which, if that's really his crucial key crew, I think he'd have some hesitation about this. Of, you know, at least come back on the weekends to help, or something like that. But no, go, bye-bye. God bless you. See ya whatever holiday we're going to see you at, have a good life. But I think this is a significant way of seeing James and John because it allows us to enter the story. We don't have to be super buff white males to be an apostle. We don't have to be successful to be an apostle. 
We don't have to be respected in our community. We don't have to be a small business owner, which is the way these apostles sometimes have been portrayed in sermons. We don't have to be someone who looks like they're even worthy of being an apostle to be called by God into ministry. Because part of what we believe in the Episcopal Church is that everyone is called into some kind of ministry or another. That all of us are valued by God, and maybe it's a small thing, maybe it's a grand thing. Most of the time, it's a thing that no one else notices that God needs us to do. To share God's love. To let everyone know that they are beloved children of Christ. That we may not be people that anyone seems to notice, and yet God still treasures us and needs us to let everyone else know that even if they are not noticed, God treasures them as well. It's a crucial task. It's not big, it's not grand, it doesn't make headlines, it doesn't get into history books, but it keeps people alive and it helps people grow in their sense of purpose and self and value. And that is no small thing at all. That is part of what God calls us to do each day, is to let the people around us know that they are seen, that they're visible, that they're beloved. And sometimes that's hard to do. That's why it takes spiritual discipline to be ready to acknowledge the people around us, to be ready to be patient and forgiving and fill others with hope and love. When our well starts to run dry on those, hopefully church helps with that, but whatever it is that nurtures us to get ready again to share God's love is absolutely crucial to do whenever it's needed. So I'm picturing now James and John Simon and Andrew beginning to follow Jesus. They have no idea what they're getting into. And they're often lousy at it. That is in the gospel. That over and over, James and John and Peter especially put their foot in the feet in their mouths. They say the wrong thing. They misunderstand what's going on around them. They just screw up, and they are not fired. Jesus doesn't say, okay, go back to your day jobs. Instead, Jesus continues to love them and give them opportunities to love others right till the end of their lives. And so when we are not as successful as we'd like to be, even in the humble, small Christian tasks we find before us, we have to be able to forgive ourselves because God has already done it. We're not always going to be as loving as we'd like to be. We're not always going to be as loving as God would like us to be. But the good news that we see in the examples of these lousy fishermen is that we still are needed by God to keep going and to try again and to learn so that next time we might do better, but we might not. We might do it worse and we're still needed, we're still loved, we're still valued. So, whenever you think, whenever I think, I have to be the best, I have to be 
noticed. I have to be successful. I need to think of Peter and James and John, lousy fishermen, mediocre apostles all too often, and yet who still changed the world, changed it by sharing the love of God, sometimes really well, sometimes kind of poorly, but nonetheless persisting to keep going, to keep loving, to accept their failures and take new steps. That's what we are called to do. That's what we are called to model to others. And that's how we can join in changing the world. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs>